I have something a little bit different for you today. I think it's time to slow down and think through the claims of Me Too in this moment around sexual assault and sexual violence. We'll do that, and I hope some more on today's Corey Truax Show. This is the best thing, the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would agree the best thing is that it's happening to you and me. I don't know if it's going to take the entire show, but there's a good chance that it will. Certainly we will dedicate our last eight or nine minutes or so to our weekly sports wrap. But we have a very serious topic to discuss today and to really wrestle with. And that's how we want to spend this time together. I suspect it can be fruitful. My name is Corey Truax. We are dedicated to deeper, better, smarter talk about everything here on the Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you with us. If you are listening on the podcast, I am grateful for it. Or live on WLFJ, Christian Talk 660 on Saturday morning. Welcome to the program. Glad to have you. One other quick note on me. I am also the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at Greenville High School. Greenville High School, downtown Greenville here in South Carolina. And if you are not part of a church family and you are so inclined, you are invited, cordially so, to Beachwood Church any given Sunday morning at 1030 in downtown Greenville. So we just came off. A or not just came off, we're actually in a moment in American culture where there is conversation and concern regarding how we talk about, think about, treat women, especially in regards to sexual violence or sexual assault. This happens outside of any particular personality you would want to bring up. And I think it's important that you do that. Not think of any particular story and not think of any given particular personality. And they're everywhere. You could bring up the folks out out in Hollywood. That's how it started. The Me Too movement started in Hollywood. And you can think of government and media members. There's plenty of different personalities we could bring up. But I think what happens if we do is the conversation gets muddy. And if we're going to be a place that does deeper, smarter, better talk, then we don't muddy this by getting any kind of emotional attachment to a person or to a to a character and instead talk about the topic at hand. Now let me make an admission. I have some natural skepticism. The hashtag Me Too thing comes up and I hear some of the stories and I'm a bit skeptical and I've, I've been... Nervous about some of the stats that have been handed out. Just to give you one example that as this movement's come along, there was one stat about how uh, it's, it's, I think it was one out of every four or so uh, ladies on college campuses are raped. And, and you realize, well, that's actually a higher number than the Rwandan genocide when rape was actually used as a weapon. So that's probably not true. You probably have a weird re- definition of rape and you find out that there is this definition of rape. They were including a lot of things that should be included as assault or harassment, but not actually, or at least even sexual violence, but not rape. And so I end up coming with a ton of this skepticism, but I've come to this place in the last few weeks conversing with a lot of different people on the topic that I needed to treat it like I treated Black Lives Matter a few years ago. Stick with me. I know that seems like an odd analogy, but it's an important one. I still stand by, from a few years ago, my criticism of the actual organizations of people called Black Lives Matter and their their tactics. Their tactics are ineffective and often immoral when it comes to destruction. But I had a moment where I went, someone should listen to these people. Those who are out on the streets and... Seeming to have a point, shouldn't we at least listen? Not just assume they're all wrong, they don't know what's going on, and tell them why they're wrong. Shouldn't someone just stop 
and listen. And I did. And it alienated part of my conservative audience that I think some large chunk of the Black Lives Matter movement, even outside the tactics, have some good points. Have an actual set of grievances for which we should have redress. Because I just stopped and listened. And there's there's some valuable things we can gain from doing that. And so, even though I have this natural skepticism towards this hashtag me too, here's where I landed here recently. Well, don't they deserve a fair hearing? Shouldn't we at least stop and listen? And so I think we need to. And I don't know that it's going to take the entire show today, but regarding this conversation around sexual assault, actual rape, sexual violence, and how we think about women generally, how we inculcate and teach our boys and girls about the roles of men and women, and ideas of consent, there's a ton of cultural milieu around the topic. It's worth taking a show, it's worth taking a podcast, worth taking a radio episode, and walking through it. So, we're about to start doing that. One other introductory thought, and then we can dive in. If you don't know, from the station from which the show emanates, Christian Talk 660, the show comes from a specifically Christian perspective. And so, I do want to lay down, for those of you that care, a biblical underpinning on why we should get into this. You know, I recently talked about Jeremiah 29, right before Jeremiah 29, 11, the idea of working for the welfare of the city. You can go to Galatians, as I said recently, and you have this idea of, well, do good to everybody. Well, do good especially to those who are of the household of faith, especially those you consider family in the faith. Do good to them, but be good to everybody. There was this, there's this call from Jesus to be salt and light in a culture. And so where I do look out at the secular world, and the secular world is is seemingly panicked. They're scared. They have this, these points they're making. They, they think there's this very large problem regarding sexual violence and sexual assault. And here I am wanting to be salt and light, wanting to work for the welfare of the city, the welfare of the culture around me, wanting to do good for everybody, not just for those of the household of faith, but do good for everybody. And I go, all right, well, then we should do something about this. If there is indeed a problem... Where women who are also made in the image of God are being treated or being dismissed in a way that dishonors the image of God on them, well then, yeah, I have some responsibility to get into that. I have responsibility at least to teach the the younger guys who listen to me some things about how not to behave and how not to talk. I have my own role to play in that, and so there's some biblical underpinning on why we should spend some time on this, and that's what we're about to do now first challenge. There's challenges in talking about these things. And I think the number one is definitions. And I would say that the side, oh, this doesn't have to be sides. I, I even apologize for using that language. The folks who are most concerned with sexual violence and it being underreported or going unpunished, uh, the, those who are, those have been victimized mostly by men, those who are most concerned with this problem, they've not helped with the conflation of the different things that you can flit, excuse me, fit, fit under the rubric, under the label, sexual violence. There's, these are all bad things I'm about to tell you, by the way, but I want to draw a line. Sexual harassment is bad. Like, there was a moment in the, I guess that's the 80s, when Thomas Sewell, not Thomas Sewell, I do that all the time, Clarence Thomas, when Clarence Thomas was being confirmed to the Supreme Court, his case 
created a cultural moment where we talked about sexual harassment. That there was in the American workplace, you, you could see this recreated on Mad Men if you want to go back and watch that really excellent show on AMC. This is a normal thing. We're going to tell inappropriate jokes about around women. They're just going to take it. They're just going to have to be present while we take while we tell these jokes because they're going to know their role in this office. I get to tell jokes whether it makes them uh, uncomfortable or not. And, and saying sexually explicit things to women, this is harassment. Or, you know, even, believe it or not, underneath the definition of sexual assault is stalking. Now, stalking is terrible. It, it, it brings a lot of fear to a woman. But it is important that that we do recognize there is a difference between stalking a girl and groping her. There's certainly a difference between harassment and rape. And so while the folks who are that have been most concerned with this, I think they've done a they've done a disservice by muddying all the different words and definitions. Just because they might have muddied it doesn't mean it's not important and that we shouldn't work on it. So there's initial issues and these definitions are hard, but they're worth working through. So with that, here we go. First, I think we, especially people that grew up like me, so uh, I'll tell you this, as I, start hear, as I started hearing stories from people I know, as I start hearing stories from people who have been part of ministry for a long time, of sexual assault, of sometimes molestations, sometimes just sexual misconduct of even pastors and deacons and leaders... Here's what I learned about myself, and I think there's probably some people listening to me who come from the same place. I sure have lived a charmed life. I, I sure have been sheltered really well. Or some of the stuff that I've heard, I just I can't fit in my brain that it's happened. So I think we have to start here. If you are skeptical of the, the movement around how women have been treated historically and how we're going to address sexual assault in the future and sexual violence. I need you to know this. This is real. There's a real problem inside this culture on how we have treated women and even at their youngest ages. I think my Southern Baptist brothers need to recognize it's probably not just the Catholics. The stories I'm hearing make me think that there are a lot of people sitting in your churches out there, guys. There's a lot of people that you work with if you're listening to me and you go to work every day. There's a lot of people out there that in their younger years, maybe their preteen, their teen years, they were violated in some way. And that might range from inappropriate comments. It can range to groping. It can range to unwanted, stalk-like behavior from a suitor to actual outright rape. It made me realize there there's a lot of people, way more than I reckon, more, way more than I could have ever imagined, are actually struggling with the after effects, the emotional and mental trauma of having been the victim of someone else's sexual proclivity. And so here we are over in the Baptist world, we tend to look out at those Catholics and see that there's this very large and long-term problem, and maybe it's because it's a, a homosexual act of molestation that we look down on them further, but here is what we need to recognize first, like recognize a problem that's very real. That Stuff like this, 
inappropriate comments or groping and and inappropriate relationships. That's been it's just it's just been happening for decades. Partly because it was just part of the normal American culture, and even that happens now, where the American culture gets into the church culture. And so it's not a Christian thing, it's an American thing, but the American thing gets involved in the church thing, and the church just assumes that that's just normal. So the way that the boss talks to ladies at the job site, well, it's fairly normal for then guys to come in here in the church and talk around ladies and talk to ladies the way they see it out happen in the world. So that's where I wanted to start. I'm going to give you some other problems that we need to recognize as real. I'm going to give you some problems that I think are being given to you that aren't real. We're going to try to debunk some of those, but then finally some solutions. That's what we're going to do. It probably will be the rest of the show today until we get to sports. So come back for the rest of that. Just recognize here to start, it is a problem. We need to be seeking out solutions. So we'll start working on that when we return on the Corey Truax Show. Welcome back to the Corey Act Show. Glad to have you with us. If you would be so kind, subscribe to the show wherever it is you are listening. I assume you're listening to the podcast. Uh, that would be on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud. We are everywhere. So uh, anytime you subscribe, it's helpful. When you give the show five-star reviews and write a little review, that's helpful. Uh, and you can get the show every episode we've ever done on demand at most of those uh, places. So it would be highly appreciated if you would do so. And if you have, you know what, let me give you one more uh, push towards something, one more plug for something. We'll get back into content. You can contact the show through CoreyTruax.com. Certainly you can email the show, but there's a new thing. Like if you've ever really wanted to tell me how wrong I am about something and you want to do it with your voice, the Anchor app on your phone. So if you've got an iPhone, you've got an Android, you can download the Anchor app. I'd encourage you to do it, A-N-C-H-O-R. That is primarily how my show is now being distributed in the podcast world. It's through Anchor. And Anchor will give you this option where you can go to my show and you can hit a button that says call in or leave a voice message, something like that. And it'll just come to my phone. You can say what you want to say. And I might play it on the show and you tell me your opinion. I might respond to it. So keep that in mind even after today's show. If you want to call in to a show, then fine. Do the, get the Anchor app. Record a voice message right there on the Anchor app at my show. Just search for The Corey Truax Show. Would love to hear your thoughts. So here is where we began, that it's certainly worth addressing this broader cultural concern that there seems to be around sexual assault and sexual violence, how we handle that. And the first the first point we made there is it's real. We recognize that this is not this is not the someone saying the sky is falling, the sky, the sky is falling. No, this is a real problem to address. So here's some more problems. I think our problem with sexual violence that does exist, it's real, is a poor teaching on sexual ethics, and it comes from two directions. So first, my people, my tribe, for Christians. Hi there, listen up. I said this recently on a show, but I want to reiterate. Especially in Southern traditional Christianity, the way that we've tended we've tended to teach young people about sex is ladies guard the guys be be good to the guys by not wearing too much makeup or not wearing this too short of a thing or this too low cut of a thing this has been the primary thing where it's hey don't cause the guys to misbehave by what you do all right so first 
listen, that's that that is because uh, I'm talking to my people right now. If you're part of the Christian faith, hey, that's good wisdom. It's good wisdom to give to a to a young lady. Hey, don't don't try to get attention for yourself based solely on your beauty. Now, that's not the heart of it. The heart was protect the guys, protect their eyes, and protect what they might do in reaction to you. That shouldn't have been the heart of what we've said. It is good advice. It is good Christian counsel for a young lady. Hey, cover up. Dress. Cover yourself up for your own dignity's sake because you're, you're not a product to consume because you're a human being. Adorn yourself with honor and integrity, not for the guys. Do it for yourself and to honor God. But that was one of the ethics was you do that to protect them. And then for the guys, it was just almost recognition. You can't control yourselves anyway. And so when something did come up, that, that tended to be how we talked about it. Well, you know how guys are. Boys will be boys. You know what? Actually, that's poor sexual ethic teaching. What we should be teaching boys is, boys, be men. Grow up. Control yourself. Know your role. We're going to talk about it later in Solutions. Know your role on this earth in regards to women. It's not to use them and to consume them. And so, no, we're not going to have this ethic of, ladies, you be the gar- you be the guardians of sexuality, knowing that the guys just can't. No, the guys should lead, and we should place on them that honorable job from a Christian perspective, and we have taught it poorly. We have taught it poorly that when there is sexual indiscretion, when there is, I'm not even going to call it indiscretion because I'm talking to my people right now, let's call it what it is, when there is sexual sin, we are really quick to talk about how young ladies cause such things, how well temptresses they were. And we've not placed, at least not in my tribes, not historically, have we placed enough responsibility to a young guy to say, this, this is your fault. You need to lead. You need to not be ruled by your flesh, but instead be ruled by the Spirit. So, There's been some poor teaching on sexual ethics, and we'll get to solutions and talk about it some more. But one of the problems is Christians have done a bad job of teaching Christians about sexual ethics. But then a secular perspective. The the secular world has not done a great job either in inculcating a high regard for, for sex at all in their media, TV, radio, movies, where really sex is really transactional, totally recreational, essentially meaningless. I'll give you just a few more on why the sexual, excuse me, the secular culture has broken the sexual ethic. One is just the objectification of women. I mean, we sell everything with beautiful women. We sell burgers. We sell tractors. Like, we we sell everything with scantily clad women. That's how every product on the planet gets sold. Almost. And what's th- literally what that does is take a woman and say, so here's something you're not. You're definitely not human. You're an object. You are in a, We are trying to get people to consume our product, cons- to buy our stuff. Our stuff, we want associated with you, so we're going to use you, your form, who you are, what you look like, to get more purchase power for, for my product. That's not been helpful. That we have... We literally use the female form to sell everything. Number two, not as much anymore. Now, there's certainly, 
I actually don't think this is the case at all in culture. We've gone the total other way on this. But at least when I was coming up, and certainly the generation behind me, there was in TV and radio and shows, there was definitely some messaging of women as the lesser regards they were the lesser in regards to intellect like they could be manipulated and it was even kind of funny that they could be manipulated and tricked in some of the old sitcoms that was bad that was bad messaging where it's not just a woman as an object but also she's easy to trick again i don't think that's the case anymore now for young ladies it actually has probably gone the other direction where the boys are the stupid ones the boys are easy to trick but still, uh, the generation behind me, and even, I think, some of the things I watched coming up, that was one of the messages. And then final one for the secular perspective. Directly to guys. Remember, uh, I was going to bring up a, a political figure to make this point. I'm not going to do it because I'll get, I think it'll take your mind off the topic. Here's the bottom line. Men, especially in, an, I think, an athletic subculture, Certainly in in the in the macho man world of the fraternities where everyone's a bro and everyone's this is they're supposed to be the masculinity or signs of masculinity. It becomes an sex becomes an idea of conquest and conquer. So you prove your manhood to other men. You're accepted into the tribe of the masculine by your sexual conquests. The how many and the how. And the stories you can tell and regale the other guys with. And so what does that turn a woman into then? If, if you are finding your, your actualization as a man and what the other boys around you say of you and your reputation of you, what does the woman become? Nothing but a task to conquer. And that's a secular perspective that's done that. That says men, be men, be, be defined by your sexual conquest. That's how you become a man. It's literally part of what... Culture has a phrase. When a guy loses his virginity, he was made a man. That's what made him a man? That was it? Seriously? And so, from both perspectives from a Christian perspective and the secular world, both sides of that are teaching bad messages, wrong messages regarding sexual ethics. And so this is part of the problem to recognize. We should recognize this is real. There's a bunch of ladies out there and some guys out there that are walking around with a burden of the trauma mentally and emotionally of what's taken place and they've not told anybody. It's very real. And one of the reasons, some of the reasons that created the environment that had this happen to them is because Christians and secularists have been teaching really bad things on sexual ethics. Number three, another problem to recognize, that it's very real. Something I've really just learned in this process is I've prepared to talk about this on the show. We don't have a great or even good environment in which to report someone else's sexual misconduct. We have really... Let me say it this way. If you're a woman who has had a terrible thing happen to you and you want to report it, there are things out in the culture that say, don't do that. Don't report it. Why would you? And here's a couple. I learned more deeply here recently about what is called the the rape kit backlog. So here's... 
here is the best definition I can give you, trying to keep it somewhat PG as well. There is, a, we have a problem that after a woman is uh, has accused someone or there's someone who's been, uh, or not even necessarily arrested yet, so she's accused someone of, of rape, she might have to go through an examination called a rape kit. And it's really intrusive. It can't possibly be a pleasant thing for this woman. And there's a movement out there right now. You can actually go to uh, the website was uh, in the backlog, in the backlog.com or in the backlog.org um, sent to me from, uh, from, a, from a friend that uh, I was able to read through there. And so what we found is there's some untold number of ladies who come forward, say this happened, they go through a really invasive process to get evidence, and that evidence just sits on shelf. It's not processed. It's not taken to a lab. And when there's that reality that you see, well, here's a woman who came forward. She had a really bad process of being able to get evidence together, and then no justice came from it? It's just sitting on a shelf somewhere? It's a problem. It discourages people from stepping up, speaking up. I was encouraged a little in that it seems some some states are taking uh, measures towards better funding that process and even mandating that once a rape kit has happened, once a woman's gone through this process, well, we got to process it. we got to send it to the lab. we got to see what happened here. We're not close to solving it, but there are some states doing a better job than others. Uh, certainly next time I get to talk to my house rep in South Carolina, I want to talk about it. At least m- mention, hey, wh- what are we doing with our situation on the rape kit situation? All right, so that's one. We need to recognize there really is a bad climate for coming forward because when you know that you might have to go through an entire process of collecting evidence from your body and then it's just going to sit on a shelf somewhere nobody wants to report and that's a very normal thing there's also this another bad input so if you're a woman out there and something's happened to you and you want to report and you see there's the rape kit problem but you also see this problem it's going to discourage you to come forward apparently out on the part of the internet that i don't frequent a couple years ago, there's a huge story that I didn't catch. It's from a guy named Brock Turner. He was a swimmer out west, I think it's Stanford, and he raped a girl, sexually assaulted a girl at a party. He was drunk, but she was super drunk. He was convicted of it, like he's actually convicted of rape. And his sentence was six months. And then three years of probation. And he was released early, by the way. So a human being, a a man, overpowers a drunk girl, rapes her. The the actual definition of rapes. He rapes her. And he goes to prison for a few months? If you're a lady out there and you say, well, I, this this something happened to me, and consider the woman who is. It's not even. It's not. It's not all the way rape. It's some kind of other assault. Well, here's this girl who came forward. This guy was actually convicted. Like he was found guilty, and he spent a couple months in jail. Is it even worth it to come forward? Oh, we got to do something about that. That's a real problem. I found this stat out of California: the average convicted rapist, not. We're not talking about accusation. Someone who would go through the trial, a jury of their peers, find them guilty, 
of rape, on average, spend a little bit less than five years in prison. If you're convicted of selling marijuana, you're going to be in jail longer than five years in California. You rape a woman less than five years? Of course there's a bad climate for coming forward. There's some other problems we've had in this. Part of it's the church. I have found a couple stories of just churches trying to keep things internal. This problem where a thing has happened that's criminal. It does concern the criminal justice system that a government has. And we know biblically that God's given us governments to protect the weak. This more specific thing would be to punish the wicked and to reward the good. One of the things the wicked do is take advantage of the weak. And so church is trying to handle a criminal thing internally, something that should be reported. There should be consequences to it. Trying to handle it in an internal manner when it doesn't belong to the church. It's actually crossed outside of that, and it goes into the criminal justice system. And then finally, on our, like the wrong climate, so we need to accept that there is a really bad climate for women to come forward. Another problem is an assumption of dual guilt. I've seen it a lot. That when there is... When there's a problem come up, when there's an, uh, a conflict between a man and a woman about something that happened sexually, there is an, or at least if, even if a woman just comes forward and says something, there's this assumption that, well, I'm sure you did something to, like, what, what happened in the lead up? This thing that happened to you, what were you doing in the preceding hour, preceding minute, in the, in the preceding text messages, in the, in the not preceding, preceding, in the preceding text messages and preceding Facebook messages and preceding Instagram direct messages, what did you do in the lead-up that led to this terrible thing that happened to you? And it's not a fair question. It's not a good question. So here we go. We have these real problems that we need to recognize. It is real that this is happening. It's real that we've been teaching really bad sexual ethics in the Christian world and the secular world. It's true that we don't have a good environment for women to come forward because we're not processing these rape kits. We are not giving real sentences to men when they do the wrong thing. We assume that that a woman often has a role in whatever bad thing happened to her. Now, before we get to solutions, one other quick point I want to make. There are some excesses in the... In, in the side, it's so natural for me to use that language, the sides. I hate to do that. For those that are most concerned with this issue, they have caused a problem by using language that turns people off, is not accurate, or at least is not, it's not precise, and it's causing them a problem. For example, I think a lot of people would... There's a big group of people, primarily on the left, that would have heard a lot of things I just said and said, well, that's rape culture. What you're talking about is just rape culture. I'll just tell you again, tactically, you know, I'll go back to Black Lives Matter. They have a lot of real grievances, but then tactically they tend to ruin their process by turning people off from the tactics they use. I will tell you, if you're concerned about this, the moment you you use the term rape culture, you turn a giant chunk of people off. Because here's what they hear. What they hear is, you're telling me that there's a culture here that encourages and protects men who forcibly rape women? Like, you, you think it's a, this really common thing that just there's, there's rapes happening everywhere? And the, the bottom line is the data doesn't suggest that. The data doesn't suggest that there's a rape epidemic. 
The data does suggest there's too much rape because one is too many. The data does suggest there's too much sexual assault. The data does suggest there's too much sexual harassment. The data does suggest not just anecdotally. The data itself suggests we have a problem. It's too broad of ladies getting, of women getting attention and advances and in actual victimizing actions happening to them way more than there needs to be. But when you wrap it up in that phrase, that 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 rape culture phrase, you're not going to be effective. And sometimes you do have to ask the question: Well, what if I, what if I'm saying, what if I'm saying it, uh, what if what I'm saying is true anyway? That they're just, they they misunderstand the term rape culture. All right, well then change your language. Change your language so that you can be more effective. And so when you hear about that problem, I I don't recognize that part as real. There's this rape culture because it's not an it's not language that is very uh, distinct, right? So we need to be careful on that. When we return, the last segment, and we do have some sports stuff at the very end, I do want to give you some solutions. We're going to have to go through those as fast as we can. We'll do that when we come back on the Corey Truax Show. My inclination is to jump back in here on the Corey Truax Show with a full review of everything we've done today, but to be really uh, particular on the time, let me encourage this. If you've already been part of this conversation thus far, you probably remember what I've said. If not, go back and re-listen to get those uh, those opening points. That this is real. There's real problems we need to recognize, and then uh, we we need to get into solutions. All right. And I I, th- I think I think that first part of the show recognizes there are issues here to address. So we need to spend the last minutes we have before sports on solutions. So one, I have one, two, three. Three, at least three or four of these. Here we go. One, we have to inculcate our in our boys and girls, as they're being raised, the value of women. So the culture more broadly, I think, would say to girls, uh, you are an object. One of the ways in which you can find self-actualization and your value is how men feel about you. And so we teach our girls, n- n- that is not how you find value. That is not where your identity is. You're not an object. You're not a toy. We teach boys they're not objects. Women are not toys. They don't exist for your pl- for your pleasure and en- enjoyment. That's not how this works. And we teach boys and girls that that the that the purpose of a woman is not as an object, but equally as Adam Eve made in the image of God, an image bearer of God. I think also we do need to teach boys this. I'll probably offend some people but I'm giving you the solutions I came up with. We need to tell boys, women are weaker. That does mean physically, but I also do mean this. There is, I've, I've seen this amongst women in my whole life. There is a drive in a lot of women, not, not all, to be approved of by men be desired by men and I have seen men use that to their advantage and so we need to teach our boys there you're going to run into girls who really want you to like them don't use that don't use that to your advantage so we inculcate in our boys and girls the value of women they're made in the image of God second we need to inculcate in our boys and girls, the role of men. So here's how. Here's some of the ways we can do that. I know for my boys, if uh, they're in their teens, 
if ever this comes up, and I'm probably going to have to cause it to come up at some point, I'm going to embarrass the morons who talk about women as conquests. I'm going to make fun of them, and I'm going to mock them. Gentlemen, when that happens in a locker room, when that happens in a social setting, if you want to be part of the solution, do that. Make fun of those guys. Mock those guys as the little boys they are. The the biological male that's finding his actualization in the conquest of women, that's just a little boy. He's a meaningless little boy. And so we, we need to turn that social structure for boys in that direction where, no, you're not going to find masculinity by conquering women. No, you don't find your masculinity by having another notch on your belt, another notch on the bedpost. Come on, guys. That's not how manhood comes. And so inculcating boys and girls, your role is not to have a bunch of women. That's not how you're going to find masculinity. But then teaching young men what actual manhood looks like. Now, I'm coming from a specifically Christian perspective on that. I don't know how the secularist teaches it. But I know that we can teach young men your actual manhood has to do with the, the role God gave you. Manage your household. If you have a wife, protect and lead. Protect and lead your kids. You find your actualization by doing what God has given you to do in your house. Provide for your family. That's what you do. You guide them spiritually. That's how you're gonna, that's what a, that's what a real man looks like. And as the world gives you other indications, other, other ways to signify masculinity and manhood, just know it's a lie and turn it off. So inculcate in boys and girls the value of women. Inculcate in our boys and girls the role of men, what actual manhood looks like. And then we do need to create an environment, number three, that invites openness for reporting. And part of that would be, some of that is legislative. There is no reason if a man is convicted of rape, that he spent only five years in prison. That's insane and stupid. California needs to fix that. We might need mandatory minimum sentences. That's, that's where I'm leaning. If you do this, if you are convicted of a rape, not accused of one, if you are convicted of one, you are going to prison for a very long time. I, mean, I, I don't know what the minimum should be, 20, 25, 30 years, but it needs to be very harsh. If you are convicted of this, a woman needs to know that if convicted... There is going to be harsh punishment. The other is legislative. It is going through these rape kit processes, finding out how every single one of them needs to be processed. If a woman is going to go through that ordeal of having evidence collected, well, she needs to know. I saw one state. I loved this idea. They made it an, like an internet interactive tracking system. Like, you know, when I order something, consider this. Consider how backward this is. I can order something from Amazon. I can track it every step of the way. When it leaves one warehouse and gets on a truck or gets on a plane and it comes into my house, if it goes to five different Amazon centers and mailing centers, I can track it every single step of the way. A woman who goes through the ordeal of a rape kit can't know where her rape kit is, can't know where the process of her criminal justice is. Oh, that's a really backward way to run a criminal justice system. And so that has to stop. We, need a, we actually need legislative fixes to process those things. And then my fourth one here, we do need to keep the realms straight. So again, part of the church thing. I have found the church trying to do government things, things it's not supposed to do. So if you're a church leader, if we're talking about a law that's been broken, 
that's not yours anymore. That belongs to law enforcement. That's where we're, that's actually one of the reasons God gave us government was to punish those that do these evil things. All right, so that's quick review. Recognize that this is real. This cultural concern out there, even for those that are discussing it in a way that's not helpful, this is real. Real. It's a long history of problems. There's a lot of people out there walking around with wounds over this. It has come from the fact that we've taught sexual ethics poorly and created a really bad environment to come forward and try to get any justice. But we can inculcate the value of men and women again into our boys and girls, into our culture now and try to create an environment where justice can actually come for those that have been victimized. If you have comments, you can send them in. Uh, I'm on the courtruex.com thing. You can do it at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. Any of those work for feedback. You can also, again, leave a voice message on the Anchor app. You can call in with any comments you have. I hope this has been uh, illuminating in some way and that it's productive. We are out of time. we got to move on to sports. Here we go. we are want to do we're going to finish up talking sports with our sport correspondent his name is Heath Powell hello there sir hello I would like to start in the college football world if you don't mind and I'm, I'm sure that's a challenge for you you hate you know, college football right I really wish we wouldn't start with college football all the time well you what you you want to start with uh <laughs> we're trying to think of some kind of like with curling the curling or hockey something on the ice <laughs> heck no man college football is the best you know it's actually funny I I checked this because I'm a TV nerd yep the Ohio State Purdue game had almost it, it was like 33% more viewers than the NLCS Game 7. Right, because baseball is boring, and nobody cares about the Brewers and the Dodgers. But con- consider what this means right. for T. I I mean, college football for a game that was not that good. Purdue kind of beat the mess out of them. Oh, they destroyed them. And Purdue's not even a big football power. Purdue was 3-3 three and three when that game started. It's incredible. And then here we have Game 7, right. L.A. Dodgers, Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah. 33% more people watched. Yeah. Yeah, no, college, college football <laughs> and ABC. In any event, okay, so here we go. Um, that's actually, let's start with that Ohio State thing. Uh, did It felt like that was coming. Like Teams were getting yeah. close to beating them. Ohio State was due for a beatdown. I agree. And you could see the train wreck coming since Urban Meyer's problems preseason. I mean, I think everybody knew it was going to happen, just weren't sure when. But if I'm not mistaken, Ohio State has a losing record in Purdue's building. It's the only – building in the Big Ten. That's cool. That's not theirs. I think they have a losing record in. That's two uh, two weeks in a row. You're dropping some cool stats. You know, with Purdue, they what they showed was one through four on defense. Uh, Ohio State, one through four. Their right. front four is pretty good. Yep. After that, they're not that good. You know what Purdue also showed? Ohio State has no idea and no concept on how to tackle mm-hmm. a running back or yeah. a wide receiver. Yeah. None. They, when, it's, yeah. it's horrible. The other thing that I think they ex- – I hate, I hate that hot take, exposed. Right. I hate that word. But I went back and watched a little bit of that second half through yep. online. And they seem to lose fight quickly. Where at Clemson and Alabama, I've seen other teams, right. they get they get punched. They punch they punch you back. Yeah. Ohio State players, are they just seemed resigned. They did. It looks like they gave up. I That's agree. That's what it looked like. And it's I think that is directly related, related to coaching. Purdue just wanted the game more than Ohio State. I agree. They the, did. I think I think guys in certain programs want to fight for their coach. They like their coach. Right. I'm not even sure Ohio State players like Urban Meyer. I'm I'm pretty sure they don't. I think most of those guys are there because they know Ohio State is a you know, a launch pad to the NFL and yes. this is what we're gonna do. Yep. All right, so that's Ohio State. They were the big upstate of the of the weekend. Then LSU 
didn't dominate on offense, but looks great on defense. Yeah, the defense looks good, but you know, defense against Mississippi State is you stop the run, you stop the the quarterback run, and their game is over. They've got nothing left. He cannot pass the ball. Um, they did break Tebow's rushing record in the SEC, but Nick he Fitzgerald is, is his Nick name. Nick Fitzgerald, yeah. Okay. He, he can't throw it. You load the box and take a W. They sh- yeah, and they, sh- they shut him. <laughs> That's down. not taking away from LSU. They yeah. look. They the defense look really good, but it, it, Mississippi State is one dimensional. And so now. Both teams get a week off. LSU and Alabama get weeks off. Yep. And then a showdown in the other Death Valley yep. down in Louisiana. Uh, of course, everyone's going to pick Bama, I think. Yeah. But do you have a percentage chance? Like you're going to say LSU has a 40% chance, a 30% chance of getting that win at home over the, Alabama. Here's what no one has done against Alabama thus far this year. Mm-hmm. They've not put pressure on Tua. None. He's not hit. He's not been pressured, hit, sacked, hardly any. Um. He, he's thrown, what, 28 touchdowns with no interceptions. He's back there just picking the guy he wants to throw it to. And don't get me wrong, he can throw the football. Mm-hmm. But he has all the time in the world to pick and choose who he wants to throw it to. There's been no pressure in his face. I think if LSU can do that, they have a, a very good chance to win. Is that the key to the game, to me, you tell me if you think I'm, I'm wrong here, the key to the LSU versus Alabama game is that matchup. It's when Alabama has the ball. Right. No one's given them any resistance yet. That's right. And you have to wonder, well, what happens if LSU can? And they might have the dogs to do it. They may have the dogs up front to get to Tua. Mm-hmm. Now, most games this year for Alabama, it's been 28 to nothing, 28 to three in the first quarter. Yep. So they jump on. I mean, Tua's just back there just gunslinging, yeah. and he's great at it. But he's had no pressure yet. Yeah. So if LSU can get to the quarterback, whether it's two or Jalen, I think they have a good shot to win. Uh, one other LSU thought: someone can get can someone get Orgeron a lozenge, a lozenge, uh, throat lozenge. Something. <laughs> I mean, it's bad, man. Look, it, yeah, but no, but he's perfect for LSU. You're right. You're right. He he's is. just like Bobby Boucher from The Water Boy. Yep. He fits the program when you. Okay, I'm going to interview the coach from LSU. You you should not understand. What he says, and you should expect him to say "toot him" one time. <laughs> we got to toot him in the mouth or something. Yeah, he's I, perfect. I could bear. I can barely understand his Cookie Monster cadence. Yeah, if you have to build a coach for LSU out of clay and mold and bring him alive, it's Ed Orgeron. I heard a clip from him on the way into church on Sunday, and it was <laughs> what? What did he just yeah, say? It's awesome. I mean, and so the, he's a cartoon character almost, right? Of what you said, he he's b- Foghorn Leghorn, he just is. with a. Cajun accent, but he's awesome. He's having a great year. Got to yeah. give that to Ed Orgeron for that for that program. Uh, so then going to then uh, so the Clemson Tigers blow out NC State. You were I thought it was going to be very close. I said that last week. You right. thought it was a blowout. It right. was. Uh, any particular takeaways from that game for you? Because I have one takeaway from that game. Yeah, I'll tell you the takeaway. Mm-hmm. Dave Doran wanted to load the box and stop the run, so he did a fairly good job of that. He did. What he didn't account for. Was Trevor Lawrence's arm and the and the wide receivers <laughs> that Clemson has? Yes. What did he think was going to happen? Um, he thought they could. He thought they were one dimensional. They were yeah. going to put pressure on Trevor and he mm-hmm. was going to implode. That's well, we thought. That did not happen. That did not work out because Trevor stood back there and made really great sideline throws, very hard throws. When he make. runs on the move, left or right, cross his body to his yeah. strong arm, he's he's pinpoint accurate. I mean, it's yeah. insane. Um, that's. They played the strategy I would play against a, a freshman quarterback. I'll be honest with you; they had no choice but to play that strategy. Yeah, that's great. Because you weren't gonna you weren't gonna try to stop the pass because you know the running backs are gonna run it down your throat. That's just what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. So you load the box as best you can, try to stop the run, and let the quarterback beat you. And he did. This was my big takeaway: the reason Clemson beat Alabama the second time and not the first time was because they had Mike Williams, a very physical receiver. 
Jordan Leggett. Jordan Leggett, a big physical end, man. He, let's get it he's a wide he's receiver. He's a wide receiver. Yeah, big physical mean. And Deshaun Watson can throw the football. Yes, yes. That's exactly right. This first time, it was Artavis Scott, who's great, but not big, mean, physical. Right. Renfro scored on him, but not big, mean, physical. Right. And this last time, Deion Kane's not that guy. Right. Deion Higgins. T. Higgins. And Justin, and Justin Ross. Ross. They, they are, are that guy. They are big and mean. They are carbon copies of the same dude on yeah. both ends of the field. And we talked about this. I wish they put one on one side, one on the other, and see what happens. But they are that receiver. They are. And I think Alabama actually will have trouble with those big, mean dudes. Yeah, here's the thing the with, with Trevor Lawrence taking over. Trevor Lawrence is the type of quarterback Alabama really struggles with, and that's the quarterbacks they lose to, whether it's Chad Kelly, Ole Miss, Deshaun Watson, Clemson, whoever you want to Johnny talk Manziel. About. Johnny Manziel, A&M. Kelly Bryant is not that guy. Kelly Bryant makes – his dimensions are limited when it comes to running the offense. He's a great runner. Some of his throws are good, but he's not very accurate down the field, which you have to be to beat in Alabama. Yeah. You just have to. Final question going forward. Clemson has Florida State at their place, Boston College at their place, Louisville at home, South Carolina I think is at home as well. Yep. What's the toughest game left for these local Tigers? Uh, it's got to be Boston College for me. At their place. Yeah, at their place. It, you know, it's a not a very good atmosphere for a game, probably be a, a night game. Uh, Clemson just has to come in and do work. Yeah. You know, you can't get lulled into one of those weird upsets, whether it's Pittsburgh or Syracuse, you know. And I think this the mentality of this team is a little bit different as far as the senior leadership goes and the experience they have. I don't think there'll be a letdown. But to me, I mean, Florida State is – Florida State is bad. So, Louisville is very bad. And we talked about that yesterday, watching yeah. the game together, that Florida State's just really bad. It's still maybe just the name brand to me. I go into this Florida State game going, well, they're the Seminoles, and they've got NFL draft picks, and this yeah, I mean, is the it, tough one. It's still Doe Campbell, and it's still Florida State, and they still got the Chief running out on the horse with the spear. Yeah. But it's just not Florida State like, football-wise. Like it has been. Right. Yeah. It's just not. All right. We'll be back with more football content next week. Uh, thanks for coming and doing sports. I appreciate we'll it. We'll be back for another new edition. Uh, get the show on demand, Anchor, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, any of those places. Share the show with others. Until next time, everybody, peace and love.